G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. There's an old saying that goes, prevention is better than cure. And it holds true in so many dimensions of marriage and family life. And it's especially true for families who are dealing with issues around domestic violence. So many times we wish you could hit the rewind button and correct all of our mistakes from the past. When anger spills over into violence against the people we love, the likelihood is trauma for those that we love, and the likelihood also that we may lose those who are closest to us. Our special guest today is Matt Bolton. He is a domestic violence trainer, advocate, and speaker. He's best known as the author of Changing Tools, and the Circuit Breaker Program. He specialises in domestic violence cases and working with perpetrators. He produced a documentary for the Joint Church's Domestic Violence Prevention Project called Not In My Church, and it's been used widely as a training resource for clergy. Matt Bolton is our special guest on 2020 today. Matt, a special welcome along. It's great to have you here sitting opposite me in the studio. It's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Matt, if we get into this topic, domestic violence, this is uh, a very, very serious topic, uh, especially for people who either have been touched by domestic violence in their own homes and I know that there'll be some who are saying, you know, I've got uh, married children. They grew up, got married, and uh, we were worried about, uh, you know, the, the person that they uh, got married to. And uh, all of a sudden they see some things coming to the fore and uh, not so excited about that because, you know, those things can be very treacherous, very dangerous, even deadly. Mm. So that's how serious this topic is. And this has been so close to your heart and uh, you even have your own story to tell. Uh, what are your thoughts about uh, just how serious we take this issue of domestic violence? Well, we do take it very seriously, and there's a lot, lot of media these days around domestic violence, certainly a lot of funding and um, and spending goes on. Uh, and I think, though, probably people don't realise the prevalence. And the fact is, as you say, you know, some of us know of it, have our own story, some of us know of a story, but it's actually statistically almost impossible now that we wouldn't be connected with somebody who is a victim or perpetrator of domestic violence. We're talking about an issue that affects one in four women in Australia, an issue where one woman every week, almost two women every week in our country die as a result of um, abuse by a, a partner or former partner. So it's all around us, whether those people are sharing their stories with us or not, uh, they are all around us and we're actually bathing in these stories all the time. Matt, you touch on something pretty important here, and I guess good to talk about this early in our conversation, this idea of uh, how you define domestic violence. Uh, mm. For some people, the idea of a husband beating a wife mm. is the extent of their understanding of domestic violence, but mm. it goes a lot deeper into that. All sorts of abuse issues can happen at a lot of different dimensions. Uh, what are your thoughts on definitions here? 
well, even in the law, that's recognised these days. And uh, I actually prefer the term domestic abuse because I think the term domestic violence can create a bit of an us and them mentality. And before people know it, they can cross that line into violence where actually abuse has been growing for years. Where, uh, kinds of abuse might be psychological abuse and most most uh, physical abuse will only take place after there's been quite a lot of psychological abuse for a while and often that person might feel that they're actually deserving or, or they might share some of the blame for that abuse. There's economic abuse and uh, we see a lot of intimidatory behaviours and uh, isolating behaviours and there's a whole, actually, whole wreath of kinds of abuse uh, that are in that package, uh, not just violence. No doubt we'll unpack some more of that. The interesting thing is that when two people come together, they fall in love. Mm. They're coming with them, uh, with all of the baggage that they've brought from their upbringing. And so mm. one family environment has issues with domestic violence. Uh, there's even a likelihood, isn't there, that that will flow through into a new relationship. And if you get two that mm. are coming from abusive backgrounds, uh, you've got fireworks ready to happen. What are your thoughts about the things that shape us in our younger years and what we bring to a new relationship? Well, something that I, I talk about in my book, Changing Tools, and, and also in the third chapter of our uh, third session of the Circuit Breaker program is we talk about the tools that we have for life and relationships and just like the tools that we have in our toolbox at home, uh, we only have the best tools that we have. We'd, we might not have the very best tools for the job. Um, some of us only have the tools that our parents ha handed down to us. So there's that element of monkey see, monkey do. Then we go into life. Uh, we, some of us go through trauma. We go through moments where we're profoundly controlled by someone else and we learn some things about control. Maybe we grope for whatever tools we can pick up during that time just to cope. Uh, they can become hardwired and they can become tools that cause us something in our mind to click and say, um, I'm never going to be controlled again. From now on, I'm going to be the one in control. So it's very easy for people to slip into those mindsets and especially, as you say, if they're brought up in those environments. What a great analogy because, as you say, we reach for the tools that we have in our own tool shed. Mm. Uh is it then possible, and let's, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, uh, you know, including me, will spend time at the hardware store. Everyone does their trip mm. to Bunnings and uh, you'd walk down the tool aisle and there's lots of tools there. You think, oh, I wouldn't mind one of those. Mm. Uh, is it possible that while you've got these tools in your tool sheds, the ones that you would ordinarily call on to deal with the issues in your marriage and in your family, that you can get new tools, you can change those tools, that you can mm. do the trip to the hardware store, get new tools so that you deal with things in a different way. It's absolutely possible. In fact, it's critical. And one of the th that's really the backbone of the work that we do, retooling people to, uh, you know, to try to, to help them. But one of the problems is, you know, it's easy if you saw a man walking down the street with an axe, you might say, oh, hey, you know, he's obviously on his way to some job. You'd say, hey, let me save you some time. I'll give you a chainsaw. Because we get an idea of what he's trying to do by the tool that he has. He has an axe. Well, he's probably going to chop down a tree. The trouble with domestic abuse is that there's not often insight about what people are trying to do with the abuse that they're wielding. So they might not know what they're trying to do by raising their voice or, or, or what are they trying to achieve with the violence. And so, for instance, with a lot of men, it might be that they're using fear as a counterfeit for respect, that they might be a man who doesn't know how to 
earn respect in a relationship. So, well, sometimes fear can be close enough. So we'll just use the the best, closest tool that we have. But I'm a big believer, Neil, that uh, that healing only happens in community, and that's where we find other men with uh, with better instruments and and tools that they've picked up in their life and relationships. And that's why I'm a big believer in things like men's sheds and communities of men getting together and and uh, helping each other through these kinds of issues. What amazing insight uh, to be able to identify that while you're using one set of tools, the new hardware store you go to is actually your relationship that you might have. And I'm talking about uh, men in this context. And, of course, there are women who are abusers as well. And mm. uh, mostly we focus on men uh, because, uh, as I understand it, the statistics would show that it's m- more likely to be a man who's an abuser uh, in a domestic violence sense. But what an amazing way. This is where you find the new tools, when you actually have a time of friendship and getting to know other men who've got better tools than you have so that mm. you can apply those new tools into your setting and you can get free from being a perpetrator when it comes to a domestic abuse. That's right, and that's one of the points of difference with the Circuit Breaker program is that it's a, it's a shame-free program because one of the mistakes that I see us continuing to make in the media and through major campaigns is that we think that shame is going to shame people out of offending where in fact all it does is it forces them into silence and secrecy. It takes them out of those communities where they might find help and also most dangerously it causes them to isolate their partners, to shut down and say, you're not going out anymore, I don't want you talking to that friend, don't want you reading those books Uh, because we push them almost into a siege mentality through some of the shame campaigns. At the end of the day they just make us feel good but they don't actually bring the change that we need. Matt, we're often humbled when we hear stories about the sorts of topics we talk about on 2020. And today you're coming here uh, to talk about domestic abuse. And uh, this is your calling in life. This is your ministry. And Mm. it comes from your own story. Let us in on a few of insights of your own from your own past experience. Great, Neil. Well, I, I went into marriage at the age of 20 and and I remember that we had a a discussion about domestic violence before that. I don't know, it came up in a conversation and I said, you never have to worry about that with me um, because if I ever became one of those low-lifes that hits a woman, I would take my life. That They were my words. And uh, and so we went into marriage with that attitude. Um, I went into marriage probably somewhat like a boy trapped inside a man's body, probably like a lot of men, if they're honest, they they've, don't know if they've got what it takes. What is a husband? What what am I, What is my role here? And there were certainly others that wanted to speak into that. And I found that when the pressure came on, uh, I don't, I don't, I mean, we, we had a small business during a recession. We were working together pretty intensely during and the there's day. There's pressures and, that come with that. Yeah, pressures and pressures are not the reason for domestic abuse. But what I always say is, it's a bit like low tide. You see the rocks that have already been there all the time, and uh, I think the the pressure circumstances that we were under exposed that I was uh, devoid of the tools that I needed for proper communication, conflict resolution. So problems began in conflict. Uh, I began raising my voice. I began using language, and I, and I wasn't a man ever comfortable with language around women, um, but I began using words at home that uh, that disgusted myself. And uh, and then I'll never forget the day just crossing the line into getting physical. It wasn't a, 
a big event, but it was uh, it was like I describe it as one small step for man, but one giant leap in our relationship into a new pattern. I would like to say that that scared me into getting help. Um, probably more, it uh, forced me more into isolation and uh, and away from help, and um, that just began a cycle of shame. So a cycle of shame, and that shows itself by way of covering up the issues that you're going through, uh, putting on a brave, a healthy, strong, uh, I'm a great family man, I'm a great husband face mm. uh, to those on the outside. But when that door closes, uh, the real you comes out. You kind of lose touch with the real you. And and I, I find that, you know, fast forward years ahead working as a, as a when I was working as a counsellor and working with so many abusers that often, very often, they hate themselves for what they're doing because it's not the the best version of them that they know. Uh, and sometimes, in fact, quite often, the, I, I find abusers surprise themselves with their own behaviours and then very, very remorseful later on. But that remorse doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't translate into change because they don't find new tools because they stay in isolation and they just think, if I make bigger promises, if I... Uh, you know, if I have more resolve, if I hate my abuse more, it might stop. But of course it doesn't until we get the new tools. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour is Matt Bolton. He's a domestic violence trainer, advocate and speaker. He's best known as the author of Changing Tools and the Circuit Breaker program, circuitbreakercourse.net, is where you'll find details about the sorts of things that Matt is involved in. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. And Matt, it might be good for us to take as many calls as we can today. So let's start with a call from Lou in Brisbane. Hello, Lou. Welcome along. Hey, how's it going? Good, Lou. What are your thoughts for our conversation today? Yeah, um, the, just with domestic violence, um, um, I've, I have been a perpetrator. And, you know, just without knowing how to deal with relationships, um, doing, like, being able to know those, know this and understand the tools that Pastor Matt is talking about um, is um, is a great thing to be able to, you know, to manage yourself in terms of dealing with um, with relationships and other people. Lou, I suspect that every young man doesn't have all of the correct tools uh, to resist the idea of, in some ways, becoming involved uh, in the darker side of these relationships. Let's get some insight here from Matt. Matt, what are your thoughts for someone like Lou and uh, what he's sharing? I think... Uh, g'day. Hi, Lou. How's it going, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, Lou. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, that this is just an example of what we've been talking about. That it, you know, we've only got the best tools that we bring from our families, from our from our cultures, and and particularly some cultural groups. I think are a little bit more disadvantaged than others due to you know taboos and uh, particularly shameful issues that nobody talks about. And um, Lou might have something to contribute about that. Yes, um, just with. Um yeah, with my past, it's it's been um, 
a definite battle, um, just without knowing, you know, how how to, you know, as something as simple as taking a a timeout, which can be very effective, and um, being able to, you know, assess yourself and try and try and come up with a better solution. Lou, can I ask you? Did you uh, did you get some different style tools uh, by going through any sort of counselling or joining a men's group or a men's shed? Or how did how did you come to the idea that uh, you know you had to change some things? Some things had to develop in a level of maturity. Uh, what was your story there? Yeah. So, um, so my my partner actually left me, and I um, and that's when that's when I wanted to look for the change. You know, I wasn't, the help was there for me to take before, but I, I never took it because of the shame. I was trying to hide it and trying to do it myself and I couldn't. And it was just um losing battle. So yeah, when, when, when my father, when my wife left me, I, ex-wife left me, I, that's when I sought for the help and, and I found, um, Pastor Matt. Um, so yeah, the, Pastor Matt's church, um, the Hope Center, and and the help was there for me, and I took it, and you know, and it helped me deal with all this, the shame, and the guilt, and everything like that. It um, it did give me give me confidence, and being able to you know to change the way that I think. The way that I think was was a big issue before but um but now i'm i'm able to analyze myself and and just um yeah make more effective um decisions i think lou um yeah under undersells himself a little bit he's also uh he's now become a champion for other men and he's he's one of our key facilitators in the circuit breaker program and he's he's actually actively involved now in in sharing those tools with other men and and he's really changing lives and and causing generational change in families so i'm pretty proud of this guy lou thank you so much for calling in and uh, that connection there obviously under what matt is doing at the hope center church in brisbane uh, just great to hear from you and uh, you have got an amazing story to tell, which means in that Christian setting, you've got an amazing testimony to share. And uh, no doubt there's more deeper things we could talk about spiritually. But Lou, thank you so much for your call today on 2021. 1-800-316-316. To join in our conversation, let's take another call. A uh, An anonymous caller calling in from Queensland. Hello, welcome along. Hi, how are you? Very good. What are your thoughts? I just firstly wanted to thank... Um you both, Neil and um, Matt, for actually bringing this onto the um, airwaves. It's a really, obviously, it's a really common um, scenario that we're dealing with in this day and age, but it's one, in my experience, I've found uh, the church is very ill-equipped to deal with, so it's actually um, really um, challenging to keep going in my faith, um, in in a church context anyway, with... um, what I've experienced over the last five years. I'm actually not in the relationship anymore, but we have children together, so there's a lot of um, difficulties with that. Um, And I left um, after years of abuse, and I'm glad and thankful that you've defined it's not just the physical. 
Um, it often leads from other things to the physical, which is the case in a lot of situations. But um, just wanting to, obviously, Matt's working and equipping the Christian church, but and it's helping perpetrators, which is a lot better than what the secular world is doing with the shaming and the, you know, going through the courts and all that, which is not really effective as a solution. I'm just wondering what people can do and how how we can try to get the churches more on board or more aware and open to this because, I mean, I brought it to my old pastor um, but there was no follow-up. I was just given a scripture and basically sent on my way so I've actually struggled and still continue to struggle as my children do because I want to break that cycle now um, but my children are growing up thinking that that's normal how people are treated with the emotional and the you know, um, psychological and verbal abuse as well as physical that they still experience. Um, I'm just wondering, yeah, what Matt um, and you can offer in terms of people who are in a similar situation um, to myself who are Christians, we love God and we love Jesus, but we're really struggling. Okay, Matt, what are your thoughts? Because when we hear of the church being ill-equipped and Mm. we know that not every church leader is going to be as well-equipped as a church like yours where they can put on someone who's really invested in this area, Mm. just not too long out from news, but what are your thoughts for our caller? Well, I think you raise really important points there, and one of those is is what we call prevention. Uh, So... I am a little disgusted by what passes as prevention these days. I have a naive belief that prevention should be preventing domestic violence. Um, but often I think a lot of our, uh, our responses amount to moving the problem around. So um, putting people into prison, although that might be needed, uh, although the, the courts are important and we probably even could use more of that, we could use more uh, response but if we're not actually engaging perpetrators, if we're not helping them to change, then we're just moving the problem around. And my experience is that that perpetrators are not going to just by magic decide, oh, looks like I'm no good at relationships, I'm just going to be celibate from now on. No, of course not. They're going to go and cause more generational damage. Um, so I think that, uh, and, and I think churches are uniquely equipped, the, the Christian church is uniquely equipped with some superpowers which are a little unfair um, if I could indulge in those for a moment, the first is we're able to uh, we're able to hate the sin and love the sinner, and you can't work with people that you can't love. So, so this group of people that the world's written off as monsters that are that are they're disgusted in and um, they're just happy to move on from. Um, unless we engage them and work with them, there's no future. So we're able to do that. Secondly, we believe in redemption. We believe people can change. I don't hear a lot of that in the domestic violence space, and I've been actively involved in it for 20 years. And thirdly, we have the supportive communities that that kind of change takes. It's a very big change for people to make without support. We have that. And fourthly, of course, we have the Holy Spirit, which is definitely an unfair superpower. Uh, Matt, lots of people are calling through with their thoughts. Let's continue to take some calls. Let's hear from Sue in Queensland. Sue, thank you for waiting so patiently. Uh, what are your thoughts for Matt? Well, um, I'm a survivor. Um, I left my marriage about 20 years ago, but I was in that situation for about 10 years. So um, I, I just feel that this is a subject that the church avoids quite a bit. Like it's too hard to uh, deal with, so they don't want to deal with it. Is that? Do you think that's a right comment? 
I think that that's certainly been the case over the years, Sue. Um, and uh, I think things are improving slowly. I, I remember trying to get help 26 years ago when I was a perpetrator. Uh, the first place that I went to was church, was a church, and and then I went to another church, and and I found both churches at that time were ill-equipped, and well, I guess they were using the best tools they had. Uh, but um, but I, th- I think thankfully that through groups like the Joint Churches Domestic Violence Prevention Project and other other groups that are working to educate clergy, slowly but surely we're, we're getting better. But I'd, I'd have to agree with you. It is a difficult issue sometimes, I think, for clergy to know how to approach uh, in a way that's going to be helpful, and, and we certainly could use a lot more education in that area. I just said, the pastor I had at that time, he just said, uh, divorce is a sin and I should stick with my marriage. Mm, and, I was, and I was like, what? <laughs> You're kidding me. This guy is hitting me. And like, as you said, it's domestic abuse, not just violence, because the violence came later. Yeah. It, last... was when, it was when he had me where he wanted me um, by the emotional and verbal abuse that, that he started hitting me. Mm, that's very often the case. And I'm I'm so sorry to hear that that you were in that situation for 10 years. Um, that's quite sad, Sue. Sue, thank you so much for your call. Our talk back line open on 1-800-316-316. Just before we take another call, a very short, uh, to the point, Facebook comment, uh, which is from a lady, I think that's a lady, Shell, who says women also are perpetrators, not just men. So while we're talking primarily about men today, uh, mm-hmm. have you got a thought or two uh, with regard to what happens on the other side of the equation often where women mm-hmm. can be perpetrators? That's a very lonely group of people because because often women are raised at, you know as girls to believe that anger is not very ladylike. So they can find themselves, when they find themselves as perpetrators and abusers, uh, it's a very lonely place and can be much higher levels of shame. But the Australian Bureau of Statistics a few years ago did a personal safety survey where they found that um, between one in four and one in three victims of domestic abuse are men. Uh, now, they're not all victims of women, uh, but certainly in our programs, we, which is a non-gender specific program, the Circuit Breaker program, a lot of women come through. And uh, we find it's a great help to them because often services that they turn to, even some of the domestic violence hotlines, as a matter of policy, will talk them out of being a perpetrator and say, oh, you must be provoked. You can't possibly be the perpetrator. Uh, so there's something there that works against women who actually want help mm. because they recognise that they themselves are perpetrators. They need some help. But where do I find that help? Uh, would you say, Matt, that even in church life, perhaps in women's groups, the same sort of retooling that we're talking about for men may well work the same for women who mm. may feel themselves in that uh, in that line of uh, being a perpetrator? Absolutely. In fact, I had the privilege of, of, of co-facilitating a, a women's group at the beginning of last year, and uh, and the, the stories in there were very similar to the stories of the male perpetrators. From time to time, we uh, we conduct mixed groups as well. And um, at uh, Centre Point Church at Chermside, they've just finished a really successful mixed program up there, and we just find so much common ground really uh, around this issue. And and women, just as the same as men, really need that retooling to be able to to break free of the 
behaviours. Let's get back to some calls and let's take a call. Rod is on the line from Brisbane. Hello, Rod. Welcome. Hello. Rod, what are your thoughts? Um, just growing up in a, in a family with a father that was fairly um, abusive, um, back in the 80s, the church believed um, a lot of spare the rod and spoil the child and you had to discipline your child, which sometimes led to abuse, which in my case it did. Um, I, I feel that the church, um, for that reason, does overlook those sort of issues and problems and almost condone it because, you know, discipline is a, a major factor of um, Christian belief. This is a tricky one for some. Thank you for raising it, Rod. Uh, this idea that in a Christian home and discipline is going to be so much a significant part of raising a child uh, with good morals and good behaviour and sometimes the line is overstepped and that discipline becomes a punishment and becomes an abuse. Uh, what are your thoughts for Rod, Matt? Thanks for Thanks for sharing, Rod. I think that Lots of different kinds of discipline can be used abusively and uh, and violence in particular. I think parents really need to look at their motivation and they look need to look at whether they're acting out of a place of uh, love and uh, and support for that child to, to bring out their best or whether they're just responding out of anger. And for Rod, while we've got you, Rod, the idea that having been raised in a what sounds to me like you're describing as a very heavy disciplinary regime in your family, that uh, you're saying that was abuse. And uh, and in churches, we turned a blind eye to that idea because, uh, you know, spare the rod and spoil the child was a part of a disciplinary regime that uh, would help to shape uh, the young character. So in, in your experience... Uh, Rod, uh, let me just ask you about, and if you're happy to share, uh, your own experience of raising your own children. Do you go to the other extreme and don't discipline at all? <laughs> Man, I, that, is, that is a very good question. I struggled a long time with um, with that issue, and um, I, I almost got, well, my first, I have three children, so my first, Son, I thought, well, I will, you know, I'll call a call a line at at one smack. That's it, no more. And you know, um, with my other two children, I didn't even do that because I just felt that um, when I was doing that with my oldest son, that um, just this oh, angst would rise up within me, bringing back obviously memories from my childhood that I couldn't actually discipline my son in mm. because of that. Uh, Rod, thank you so much for calling in. Uh, do you have a final word for Rod just quickly before we move on, Matt? Sure do. Uh, one of the, the disciplinary tools that we use with children, of course, these days sometimes is a timeout. And I want to suggest that sometimes as a parent we need a timeout before we respond. So I know if I'm in, uh, experiencing high levels of anger, you know, that, that could be a time where I could go too far, you know, either in a violent way or it could, or in, you know, an, an unreasonable consequence. So sometimes it's necessary to have a time out, go for a bathroom break or whatever you need to do and then respond afterwards. We don't always need to respond right there in the moment.
Uh, Rod, thanks for joining us. 1-800-316-316. Let's continue to take calls. Karen is on the line, also from Queensland. Hello, Karen. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, Good morning, um, Matt. I'm just ringing up um, to share my testimony um, as a victim from physical and emotional abuse. Uh, When I was going through it, I was... um, I had been married twice and I was very young at the time. But what I discovered, Matt, was I got lost in myself because I never spoke about it. Mm. I was silent all the time. Um, How I covered up the abuse was wearing long sleeve shirts to cover up my arms and things like that. Um, I tried to avoid people because I did not know how to connect. I did not know how to communicate with other women. But today, I um, can actually give um, the Lord every opportunity in this conversation because it was him who helped me see that he loved me. Mm. And I was searching for that so much in my own life. And I wrote a book called Door of Hope. Um, And the Door of Hope is that you do have hope. But is when you're in that dark place, you cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I just want to encourage women that, that you know, are going through it or are still coming out of it. Don't give up on yourself. Continue to seek the help, even if there are people in the church that have gone through that same experience. They're there to walk you through that journey. Karen, thank you so much for calling in. And interestingly, because we might sometimes talk about the levels of domestic abuse that happen within churches, how that might compare to what happens outside of churches. And here I might be today inviting people who've got difficulties with domestic abuse to go and join a local church. Uh, There's some who would be saying, how do you get those people out of our church? We don't want that type in here. Mm -hmm. But actually... Uh, As you're describing, Matt, the place that people will find in the local church, a place of redemption, a place of retooling, is going to be happening in the mix of people who've got better tools than they do. A quick thought for Karen. Karen, thank you for sharing your story. Um, You remind me of a scripture in Proverbs, um, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 19, and it says that um, a violent, abusive man must suffer the consequences of his actions if you rescue him you will have to do it again. And I think it's really helpful for, for, for victims and for perpetrators uh, to understand that because uh, sometimes we think it's a kind thing to rescue, to stay with someone, to continue to bear with it. And um, I think as believers, sometimes even victims can feel like maybe this is my calling and maybe I'm just suffering for Jesus kind of thing. Um, I don't believe anybody's called to, to be a victim of domestic abuse. Uh, we've got to love ourselves, but also I don't think it's a loving thing to do for for clergy to protect a perpetrator either. I think we absolutely have to um, expose them to consequences that are going to bring them to change. I only have a happy ending after a 10-month separation of hard yards that I had to do of getting counselling and joining a DV group and stuff like that, only because I was exposed to my consequences when my wife eventually left. 
Thank you so much to Karen from Queensland. Before we take another call, just to dwell on that for a moment, Matt, mm. because uh, oftentimes if that domestic abuse is exposed, uh, then oftentimes if one partner is in a place where they're in danger, uh, the wisdom would be to actually make a separation happen. Mm. But uh, sometimes people will jump straight to the idea of divorce or mm. absolute separation. Uh, what you're saying is, in your own story, there was a 10-month separation while you went through a process of helping to deal with that, and I hope uh, that would mean uh, dealing with those things as a couple. Well, yeah, hopefully. I mean, sometimes the door's closed on that, and you know, I do think we can get to a point where we, we've irreversibly damaged the relationship, and um, you know, the Book of Corinthians talks about those kind of violent people that we that we're supposed to, you know, treat as an outcast, and um, and also in Malachi where it talks about, and people will often quote the verse, "God hates divorce," but that whole chapter is all about. You know, God hating the violence that's in marriages that's leading to that divorce. So the idea of an early intervention mm. uh, makes really good sense because if you wait until everything is so bad mm. that you have to make a separation, uh, if some one partner is in particular danger, uh, getting an early intervention and uh, mm. retooling early is a really powerful way to ensure that you're going to have a lifelong marriage. That's absolutely where I'm putting all my energy, uh, because uh, and the circuit breaker program is not uh, is not a a perpetrator program as such. It's really an early intervention program where where um, we invite anybody who feels that their anger is affecting the quality of their relationships to come and get the very best relationship you can have. Um, we can all use a tune up in that particular area and some new tools, I think. Let's take another call. We've got Jonathan on the line from Perth. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome. Yeah, thank you, Neil. My question is, uh, we got a house from the speaker talking about the family that come in the church, maybe they are the perpetrator, they are abusing. Suppose let's put it in the other side. If the leader of the church had been under domestic violence, and he had it for years, and he established his church, built the church on the same principle, and tried to put people under control, detect to them, and nobody speak to that kind of leader. Okay. And honor that person. How would we do it to mm. break from such a life like that? Yes, well, uh, let's talk about the way that values are here passed down. And sometimes we talk about values within a family, but what about values within a local church? And uh, let's assume that's a hypothetical scenario where the pastor has been happy and uh, to, uh, to to be an abuser or to to uh, to protect abusers, and that passes down into the values of the church. I think that's where Jonathan is is moving here. What are your thoughts for mm. uh, you know the the sorts of evaluation that you might make about how your church perhaps even deals with issues like domestic abuse. Mm, there's a few few issues there, but uh, I'm reminded of a, the proverb, I can't remember where it is, but uh, that it's easier to, to to control a city than your, your inner world. And um, and we'll find many ways to outwork. If we, if we feel like our world is chaotic or out of our control, it's amazing what tools we'll reach for to regain that feeling of control. So in a relationship that might be controlling a person's partner, but for a church leader, it, it is a great risk that if they're not whole within themselves and they're not a secure leader, that they can 
uh, you know, be that sort of cultish leader that's doing abusive things with with the people. So I think we have to look out for the same things as we do in a relationship with a le- with a leader. So um, is this a person who's respecting people's personal boundaries? Is this a person who's you know riding roughshod? Uh, uh, you know, ordering people around and uh, and not exhibiting grace. Um, there might be all sorts of things you could look for, and mm. uh, none of those are going to be absolutely definitive. And a little bit of grace is going to be required on every side, whether you are a church leader, whether you are a church uh, person who sits in the pews. Mm. Uh, we're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three six. Well, actually, we're running short of time. Let's we've got time for one more call. Let's hear from James in Kyabram in Victoria. Hi, James. Welcome. Hi, Neil. Hi, Matt. James, Hi, what are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are, um, I've never been married, um, so I'm not standing from a self-righteous perspective, but I've, I've seen uh, the evidence of some of these things in my own life through other relationships. And the thoughts that I've been having is, that it's, which I really want to praise Matt for, is like casting the vision. The old saying used to be, you've got to be cruel to be kind, but I believe we should change that. We need to be kind to kindle, to kindle a good relationship. We need, we need to be able to kindle kindness. Kindness leads to repentance. I've started to do it, my own studies into the mental health and come across narcissism, understanding narcissism, helping me to understand why narcissistic people have, have um, you know, afflicted my life. And then in that, that creating that understanding is offering a kindness towards the very people who are trying to persecute or uh, demean or belittle us. Not everybody probably wants to do that. But I find that for me, the understanding, like it says, without a vision, the people perish. And, and as Caroline, um, Carol Ann mentioned earlier, that someone said something to her at an early age, and those words went over and over and over in her head. And I think we need to create more vision, more uh, sustainable, outgoing, you know, loving, supporting sort of visions for people so that they're not harping on those things that they don't know how to demolish in their own thinking without God. Because, you know, with, like they say, without the Spirit, you know, we can't discern these things. So. Mm. I, I don't know what Matt's views are. I don't know what he's done in the study of that. I'm only just starting out. I'm only just starting out, but I, I want I want to absorb more. I want to learn more so I can help more people. James, good thoughts. A very quick response from Matt. Fantastic. Couldn't agree with you more, James. And the CL, I just think of the old saying, you, you know, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Um, we've got to actually, yeah, we have got to show kindness and compassion and grace, but we've and we've also got to lovingly, lead people towards the right tools and make sure that they know that we're going to support them through that change. Thank you so much to James. And just a couple of minutes remaining for our conversation here. And what's so, so, I think, exciting about having you in today, Matt, is not that uh, you've got some programs that are coming up in Brisbane, and uh, certainly for people who live in Brisbane, they might want to avail themselves of those. A couple coming up uh, on Thursday next week in Slacks Creek and then on the 26th of October in The Gap in Brisbane at the River City Church in the gap in Brisbane but you've got an online training program that listeners to our conversation wherever they might be right around Australia could access today to actually get them on a right path to retooling and being prepared in their local church give us a little insight into this new online program that you've just released great yeah we're very excited about getting that online to be able to reach people in remote and and rural areas and and other, other interstate 
and really it's all about learning to engage, um, not to have that punishing mentality or shaming mentality, but actually learning what works with abusers, what what has been working for us for 20 years to, to actually be able to turn these stories around. And then we cover all of the, the types and nature and dynamics of domestic abuse, so you'll have a much better above average um, understanding and grounding in those things to be able to work from. And then there's all the tools and strategies that have been working for us, whether you use them as a facilitator of the of the program or not, or you just take it back to your context or your church and and become a better uh, you know, people helper in that context. So it's a self-paced program. Mm. Uh, I imagine that people in churches and perhaps those who have levels of responsibility, maybe they're leading a men's group or it could be the pastor, or it could be someone who says, uh, well, I just need this for my family. Uh, no restrictions here. People can actually, they can sign up to be a part of that. Uh, right. I think there is a, a registration fee on there, but you've got some sample programs that people can uh, look at and uh, and actually download and uh, and and uh, get a little bit of a test of the waters before they actually get involved in doing this course. That's right. There's a few sample lectures that people can have a look at. There's 23 lectures in all, uh, but uh, you can self-pace that. And uh, the idea of that is is giving people a really thorough, helpful grounding. And at the end of that, they get their certificate of attainment and they're ready to go and deliver the program in their communities and start changing lives. I uh, know a lot of people will be holding out saying, give me this website now because mm. we really need this in our community, in our family. Here is the website. It's circuitbreakercourse.net. Circuitbreakercourse.net. It is a new online training program. And uh, if you've been listening over this past hour, you'll recognize just how significant it is uh, with Matt Bolton and those 23 lectures overall and talking about things like changing tools and uh, what it is to do and uh, have involvement and understanding what it is to be a circuit breaker when it comes to issues of domestic abuse. Matt Bolton, circuitbreakercourse.net. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. It's been an honour. Thanks. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.